Welcome home. You're listening to the Life Center Rainier Weekend Message. Amen. And uh, we were on vacation last week, and so we've been talking about the rhythms, the rest, the run, and I thought I'd practice what I preach, and uh, I'm not that great at resting. Anybody really good at resting? <laughs> we used to have this old dog that would just, and I'd be like, this dog's worthless. But every time I came home, it'd get all excited and like, he'd be like, I love you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love you too, right now. But when you sit around all day, I don't necessarily love you. Anyways, but um, we decided to really practice what we preach and go on vacation. And when you vacate with three kids, it means you make memories and then you come home and take a nap. But uh, it was awesome. We had a great time. We went to Sun River over in the Central Oregon area. Anybody ever been into Sun River? Yeah, it's beautiful over there. We had such a great time. Me and my family, my wife, three kids. I actually got a picture here I, I'd love to throw up on the screen. This is my beautiful bride in the back who was just up on the stage. You girls, like, really mesh well. That was like, wow, come on, look at you. And, uh, uh, but this is a picture from the time at Sun River. My wife, my uh, oldest daughter there, Gracie, with the, the old school bike with the banana seat and the big old handlebars. How many of you had that bike when you were a kid, right? Come on. So cool. And uh, I love her helmet. And it's the cutest thing ever, right? But, and then our youngest is in the back, Judah. He wasn't too happy because the bikes that they had there at the place that we ble were blessed to stay at, they have different bikes. And the one that fit him was, um, had flowers on it. And he was not pumped about that until I showed him the little bell. And he's like, ring, ring. He's like, okay, I can roll with this. And there was like, ding, ring, 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 ring. And I was like, ha, 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 stop it, please. <laughs> and uh, we had a great time. And then Jace, um, our middle child, Jace, my ace, he's the sweetest boy. He had a great time. And he was on his bike there with the Ninja Turtle helmets. Come on, everything my kids love is like what I loved when I was a kid. It's crazy, weird, right? But uh, he had this bike, and uh, we just had a great time. Sun River is the perfect place for us to go on vacation in this season of life because there's lots of different things that we can do. We went to the village area where they have ice cream. Oh, my gosh. How many of you are, love ice cream, right? I, I'm not your ice cream connoisseur. I'm more of the ice cream consumer. You know what I'm saying? Holler at your boy. Anybody? Yeah. And so um, I just had a physical last week. Doctor talked to me about that. So uh, diet starts Monday. <laughs> but uh, so pray for me. And uh, <laughs> no, really, this is all true. <laughs> you guys are laughing. <laughs> but uh, we had a great time. Ice cream, games. We, we played games. We, my kids didn't see a, a video game or an iPad or, or a screen the whole time. Come on. God is good, right? <laughs> Glory. Hallelujah. And uh, uh, it was great. We had a great time. We went to the water park. There's a water park in there. And we swam and we played and we had fun. We did a sleepover, which meant I didn't sleep. It was awesome. But we had a great time. But one of the favorite things that we did get to do was to ride the bikes. There's, there's lots of different bike trails and opportunities. And the place is pretty flat. It's laid out pretty good. And so you get to ride your bike anywhere. Well, my, my youngest son, he was ringing that bell, riding on that girl's bike. He was fine after a minute or two. And my daughter up on the big banana seat and big old handlebars and having a great time. My wife was riding a beach cruiser. I was riding a beach cruiser with, with pink uh, rims. I was like, 
this is swaggy. I'm swaggy daddy. I'm good. I'm doing this. And so we're riding, having fun. And, and then my son, my oldest son, Jace, who, who got fitted with a, a bike that was about two sizes too big for him. It was a little harder for him at times. There was one place that we went down by the river. And when we had to ride back to our place, there was a little bit of an incline. And he got to the point where he's riding on the incline. He's going, daddy, I can't do it. I, I, I can't do it. I want to quit. And I kick right into coach mode. I'm like, Lowry's don't quit. I'm like, that was a little loud, wasn't it? Sorry. Come on, you can do it. Come on, you got this. Come on, every little, you know, I'm like creating pithy little quotes on, from the side. Lowry's don't quit. We persevere. We press in. Come on. In the glory of God, in Jesus' name. And people are riding by us going, what's wrong with that guy? <laughs> Being a good, good father. It's what I am. It's what I am. <laughs> and uh, we're, so we're having a good time, but he, he got to the point where, where it seemed like the, the hill was too much. I said in a message a couple weeks ago, uh, a quote from John Wa Maxwell. John Maxwell says, we have uphill hopes with downhill habits. And in this series of conversations, we've been talking about the congruence of what it means to fully abide in the grace of God and the rhythms that he has on our life. And it, and it requires us understanding the value of rest because we were created in rest for work, not work for rest. We have a reward and we don't work for a reward from the grace of God, amen? And so he, he tells us, by his grace, we were saved and we were given this gift of life and life eternally. And to understand we, we don't have to work for a reward. We work from the reward of our heavenly father that he sees us, knows us, loves us in spite of us before we ever do anything. But he says your powerful purpose is connected and congruent in the understanding that God's called us to participate in this life. That he didn't just come to get us to heaven. He came to get heaven in us, in his people. And that as we collaborate and participate with the glory of God's grace in this life, he allows us to be used to a mighty degree. But we oftentimes won't understand how good our God is until we hit a point in our process where we want to quit. And I'm going to say this very presumptuous but I know it to be true is that every single one of us have faced an obstacle, a battle, or a hill in our lives where we wanted to quit. And it's true. It's not selective. It's, it's completely congruent across this gathering, knowing that every single one of us, whether you have or will, come up against something where you want to stop, you want to quit, you want to throw in the towel. But Jesus is saying, as I got to do with my son, as he was wobbling on his bike, wavering, weary, saying, Daddy, I can't do it. I go, come on, buddy, just keep pedaling. Don't stop. Keep moving. And I rode up as quick as I could, and I gave my pedal one more good jolt, and I put my hand on your back, and I go, here we go, son. You got this. And I pushed him, and he hit the pinnacle. He hit the tipping point, and he made it to the top, and he started to ride downhill, and he was victorious. And he says, Daddy, I did it. And I said, son, you're absolutely right. You did. And every single one of us will face an obstacle, a hill, a mountain, an impasse, a problem 
that we come up against that we eventually want to quit. But we only know the strength of the Father at our back when we're faced with a force that seems greater in front of us and we want to quit. Let me tell you today, your daddy's got your back. He's got the force of the power of grace leaning in on you saying, don't quit. If you don't quit, you'll win. And you're going to get past that quitting point and you're going to topple the mountain and you're going to reach the heights and the summits and you're going to see the peaks. But it comes in the valleys where we learn perseverance. We like to quote scripture and say things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, we don't know Christ's strength until we see something that requires Christ's strength. And this is so hard oftentimes. And I'm not here acting like it's all sunshine and smiles all the time. But I am acting like this. We all need a jolt of encouragement, a shot in the arm. We don't gather to be fruitless. We gather to be engaged, built up, empowered, and released to go and be sent into all the world. Amen? And so we got to learn perseverance. The power of perseverance. If you're a note taker today, that's the title of my, my topic. If you would, write that down. The power of perseverance. And let me say it like this. We don't endure by default. We endure by design. God has created this for us to have a reliance upon our Heavenly Father. He knows in our lives we're going to face things that are great, grandiose, so much seemingly bigger than each and every one of us that are going to require the strength of God's grace in our life to have the hand of God on our lives. And so when we understand it's by design, he, he gives us some clear talking points, some clear practical points in this portion of Scripture. And we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 today, verses 1 and 2. And the things that I want to engage today, the, the practical points are to put the weights aside to run your race, and to fix our eyes on Jesus. Amen? So let's jump into this portion of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It reads as this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off. Somebody say throw off. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run. Somebody say run. Run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love this portion of scripture. I think it really breaks down well what it means to persevere and to press in. Because we have to know the strength of today is ultimately the perseverance of the seeds that we planted in the past. We've planted seeds in the past. We've sown in faith only to hope to reap in the same season. Let me say it like this. We don't sow and reap in the same season. We sow in a season and reap in a later season. Why? Because God knows that we need to learn perseverance. Perseverance is the power of God of becoming to this posture in this place of saying, God, I no longer live, but it's you who lives in me. When I am weak, you are strong. And the power of perseverance comes at a cost. It comes at the cost of us being willing to lay down the weights and the sins of this life. 
Write this down if you would. Number one, my first talking point is this. Lay it aside. Weights and sins. This, this portion of scripture eloquently articulates. You've got to be able to really exhaust this in a little bit more profound way because the way it starts out, the author of Hebrews, who is unknown, some people speculate it was Paul, other people speculate it was other authors. We don't know, so I'm not going to get caught up in that fight. If you want to have a conversation about it, schedule a meeting. Shoot me an email at abarosio at lifecenter.com. But the author of Hebrews here is, 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 is starting out this conversation with a great word that we often overlook, and the word is therefore. I had a great Bible teacher one time in, in Bible college. He said, anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what's it there for? I only remember it because it was pithy, right? But you see this word, word out throughout Scripture all the time, and, and this portion of Scripture clearly is saying there. For. Why is it saying therefore? Well, it is there for our reference of what previously was stated right prior to this now conversation. So this author is going back a couple chapters. He's saying, guys, what you are about to hear is in reference and correlation and connection of what was already done. And so if you flip back into the Hebrews, you start to understand that this group of people that this book was, was written to was people that, Jewish people that left Judaism and went into Christianity to follow Jesus Christ. And they're being persecuted and martyred and killed for their faith. We don't know this type of persecution. Well, people at my work know I'm a Christian. They te teach me, they, they treat me differently. Praise God they know you're a Christian. Praise God that people might see and perceive you differently. That might afford you an opportunity to share the love of God's grace. But we say, oh, I'm being persecuted. I'm a martyr. No, they just didn't respond to your email. Why don't you go knock on their door and have a conversation, huh? Bring them a donut. Jesus is sweet. But this author writing to this group, this is a real persecution, problematic time. They understand that there's some things that happened therefore previously. If you read chapter 11 of Hebrews, this portion of scripture is commonly known as the hall of faith. These are people that previously passed the test, pushed past their quitting points, persevered. There's a list of 18 different people, not to be concluded, but to be encapsulized, to give us a reference. Because in Christendom, in Christian uh, living, in Christianity, in the church, there's no other context in our world where you can teach, preach, and even write a book about something and have never lived it. We've got a lot of theorists we have two little practitioners. I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your toes. You can say anything if you smile. But it says, therefore, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of spectators. I'm so sorry, not spectators, witnesses. But in our context, we have, it's not congruent. We don't understand, like, how many of us in our world love sports? Come on, how many of you are ready for the Seahawks? If you're not a Seahawk fan, we're going to convert you. In Jesus' name. Husky fans? Cougars? Yeah, we're going to pray. And uh, 
Somebody asked me, what's it like in the Northwest, the Pacific Northwest? I was like, man, we love Jesus and we love sports. And not always in that order. I know, Seahawks only have four 10 a.m. games. Come on, every pastor in the Northwest is like, thank you, Jesus. Come on, Thursday night, Monday night, Sunday night games, come on. You can record the game. You still come to church. But we have this understanding of these stadiums and arenas and the spectators, right? Some of you know Perseverance because you're Mariners fans. Some of you know real perseverance because you're a Sonic fan. Bring them back. Bring them back. I borrowed the Portland Trailblazers until they come back. It's just a placeholder. I'm committed. But we think about it in the same context where we, 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 we say we're surrounded by a great cloud of spectators. And, and so many people are willing to gather to see and perceive, but few, very few, are willing to count the cost and pay the price to be the people playing on the field. And the author of Hebrews here is saying, since you're surrounded by a great cloud of people that preceded you, each of you, and they finished the race and completed the task, they persevered, they did not quit, and they won because of their willingness to let God, by his grace, lean in, press in, push you forward, and lead you by his grace. You've got to do some things, and it's not by default, it is by design. And he, and, and he knows who he's talking to. He's using sports metaphors. Those would never work today. Based on your previous response, it works today. And so the context was, as, as the author is saying, he's talking to a group that really knows sports and metaphors. A couple weeks ago, I talked about the, 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 the metaphors of, of, of Paul talking to this church and telling them to run and, and weigh, or lean in and run in such a way that they would not grow weary. And so everybody in this context was not questioning what the communicator was saying. They understood exactly what he was saying. And so when he says throw off the weights and the sins, they knew exactly what this meant. It, 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 the runners... In the Isthmus Games, these times, it was like the Olympic Games, these runners would come and they would show up in these great garb, these, these, these robes of sorts that weighed a lot of weight. And when they got ready to run, they would get to the, to the start line and they would throw off the weight of the robe and strip themselves of anything that would hinder them from running their race. Matter of fact, this is kind of weird, they actually ran naked. Don't try this at home. <laughs> People running naked. Get that visual out of your mind right now, okay? <clears throat> and so they knew that they had to get the weight of what would restrict them off of them. And they would speak to the great grandeur of what it means to understand what hinders us in this life. I'm going to say this in a practical sense. In our context, there's two things that weigh us down and hinder us the most. And it's opinions Already, people are like, oh, I have a Facebook? That means everybody needs to know my opinion. Sure. We have opinions and excuses. We're so good at this, right? We're the couch commandos. Why did you throw the ball on the one-yard line? 
Okay, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. My, me and my therapist are working through this. Just run the ball. I'm just here so I don't get fined, okay? But we, we always know better. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. I would have called a different play. Why, what, what was he thinking? Didn't he know there was a backdoor pick coming? What, why wouldn't we be more? I, I, I woulda, coulda, and shoulda done this so much better. You ever been there? We're, we're the couch commandos. We're a great cloud of spectators with big opinions. But in this day and age, we think, man, technology has afforded me a following People want to know what I think. Absolutely, we'd love to know what you think. But unfortunately, in our context today, there's so much opinion that causes so many problems that it does not afford or allow healthy conversations. Now, all of a sudden, we have this level of ambiguity and obscurity where I can say whatever I want and we won't deal with the ramifications. You know what, said, what happened if you would say whatever you want where I grew up? It wouldn't, it wouldn't go that well. And we don't have those natural ramifications in our face. So we're constantly putting it on Facebook or Instagram. We always have this opinion and we think everybody needs to know it. Or the problem is we, we get caught up with the weight of complaining. You know, we've been here a couple months now, so I thought we could really actually talk about some deep stuff and you wouldn't hate me. And so complaining, the problem with complaining is complaining lets a, no, a bully know that there's a victim in the neighborhood. And so when we complain, we start to reveal the areas that would allow us to be suspect. And let me just say it like this. God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. He is everywhere, knows everything. But the devil is not. And every time we open up our mouths, and tells the world what we're worried about, what we're frustrated about, what we think needs to change. You know what the devil's going to use? That very thing to press into you and get you right under his thumb. We haven't even talked about sin. All we're talking about is the weights that we impose upon ourselves. But James, Jesus' half-brother, he says it like this. For you to not do what you know you ought to do is sin for you. Dang, that's good and bad and hard. But we have to get these weights off of us. Quit being spectators. Understand that there's practitioners that preceded us. So it empowers us by God's grace to know he's got our back. He's leaning us forth. And we need to get the weight off of us. Quit worrying. Can't quit complaining. Don't worry about your opinion. Let's be unified. You know what unity is? Unity is not uniformity. Unity is the function of God's grace on the local church. And I believe the local church is the greatest force this earth will ever know. Come on, when God's people align in his assignment, we get the weight of this life off of us, and we start to see God give greater grace. We start to see God pour out more blessing, more spirit, more power. And all of a sudden, we're not hindered. We're not held back. We push past our quitting points. And if you don't quit, you win. Number two, write this down if you would. I know that I need to lay that aside, but what do I need to actually run with? Well, we need to run with tenacity 
and diligence. Tenacity and diligence. Verse 1, again, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And it goes on and it says, And let us run with perseverance. This word perseverance in the Greek is hepomone, which means patience and endurance. It means to come up underneath and bear the burden of. We are to run with what? Tenacity. Diligence. But in our lives, if we have to wait more than three seconds for something to load on our phone, we're going, get off the Wi-Fi, try LTE. What is wrong with this place? Don't, why wouldn't they have a better wi- free Wi-Fi system? I'm never coming back here, Chick-fil-A. I'm just kidding. I'll go tomorrow. But we get so consumed with the timelines and the processes. Matter of fact, we, we, we don't wait for anything. There's, we get an app to fix it. You can't, even, you can't even wait two seconds to find out. Well, who was really the author of Hebrews? You're Googling it right now. We got a bunch of fact finders and opinionated people going, well, I'm going to talk to the pastor and shoot him an email. Great, Abe Rocio. But we get caught up in, in not allowing time to pass. Remember when, when kids got bored? My kids came to me on vacation and go, Daddy, I'm bored. I go, I've been praying for this day. Praise God you're bored. Go outside. See those things on the ground? It's called rocks and dirt and sticks. Dig a hole. Put your brother in it. That's what I used to do. There were some, we saw a coyote run through our yard. That was freaky. We saw two big bucks. Here I see my five-year-old running after them. And I'm like, everybody's laughing. I'm like, no, that's just one horn and he's all done, right? We'd mount him on the wall. Remember Judah? (laughs) One of our friends goes, what were you going to do if you caught it? He goes, I was going to pet it and ride it. (laughs) Lord help. But we say things like Googling and Ubering. These are verbs now, right? Five years ago, if I said Google and Uber, you'd be like, has he been drinking? Like, what's going on? Like, we don't wait for nothing. We get an app. You want to go to lunch? Yeah, let me get get on, uh, you know, this app. It'll get us a table. You need a ride? Yeah, yeah, let me get on this thing. Like, we don't know perseverance. Because we don't know patience. We don't know the willingness to wait. We don't don't allow pressing. Anytime we feel any type of pressing that makes us wait, oh, we get wiggly. We get wiggly. Get me out of here. Let me say it like this. Pressing is the place that produces perseverance. You know, in the scriptures, um, oil, oil was a, a great commodity. Oil was the thing that was produced congruently all throughout Scripture that was very efficient and effective for what it was used for. You can read different Scriptures. You can see the the story of the Good Samaritan when he got down off his horse and and he started to put oil on his wounds. It was medicinal. There's other contexts where where they would use different oil in different applications. 
But I want to give us a, a broader understanding. The way that they procured the oil is that they would get a basket full of olive oils, a basket full, they would put it in a bag, and they would put a stone on it, and they would put a log over it, and they would allow the pressing, the, the weight of this to press in on the bag, and it would produce the oil. And the oil would come out in different segments, in different phases. The first weight of pressing was one rock, and that was producing the most purest, most desired product of the oil. And this first batch would always go to the temple. What would they use it for? They would use it for a couple things there. They would use it for anointing, and they would also use it for their lamps to keep it lit. The light was significant. The anointing was significant. They would start to produce different rocks, put more rocks on it for different batches that would go to different things. But I think it's essential that we understand that the pressing, the waiting, the pressures and the pains that we face in this life that produce in us perseverance is really the anointing of God and the lamp that'll light our path for us to continue to persevere. And we will not wait. We get so caught up. We've got FOMO like nobody's business. Wi-Fi's down. I can't get on. Instagram crashed. We're going to Twitter. Twitter's still alive, guys. We get so, oh my gosh. We don't let the weight of God's willingness to press us in a place. We quit way before we ever produce. Well, I'm not going to that church. I'm just going to go down here. Not us, obviously, of course. Well, we're not going to allow this pressure to persuade us. Well, if it's pressure, you don't understand God's pressing. And you don't understand the byproducts of God's pressing that's producing in you the anointing of God for your life to persevere past your quitting points for the future. Because what you do now is that you sowed in faith and you're starting to dig up in doubt because you haven't seen the crop, the harvest, the fruit of what you were believing for. But if you don't quit, you win. If you allow God to lead you in this life to know that there is pressing and hard times and things that will push on us, but it's ultimately, this is how he births in us, perseverance. It has to produce in us, because otherwise, we're immature. And we'll think this whole thing relies upon us. And we'll ride our bikes, we'll hit the hills, and it'll get a little hard, and we'll quit. And every time we quit, a little bit of us is left behind. You gotta leave something behind. But you got to run with something, tenacity. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 says it like this. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Colossians 1, 11 says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. We must have spiritual fortitude. We must have this absolute undying belief that we are called to run and not grow weary. But we quit more times than we persevere. Isaiah 40, verse 29 through 31 says it like this. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope, other translations say wait, wait 
hope in the Lord. They will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Let me say it like this. God brought me here today to tell someone, don't you dare quit. You're facing a problematic pain. This is the pressure that he wants to produce in you. Perseverance. You did not come here on accident. These words are not astray and random. These are clearly pointed, powerful words that he has called to impose upon you. And if this is impeding what you think is process, you're not understanding perseverance. You gotta lean in a little bit more and start to cultivate and create faith. The Bible is clear. Your faith plays a big part in this because he says we can't please God without faith, but you can't walk into all that he's called you to walk in without faith and perseverance because there's gonna be some problems along the way and we gotta learn to press in. We gotta be willing because God is able. The truth sets us free, but the grace keeps us free. And his grace will sustain us. His grace has saved us. His grace has sustained us. His grace will satisfy us and his grace will send us. We have to continue to persevere and push past these quitting points. My friends, you are willing. If he is calling you, it is coming at the cost of you putting yourself in places that are uncomfortable, that gotta be a little uncomfortable because otherwise it's gonna be tailored to us. It's gonna be all about this planet that we all live on called me, 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 population one. And you gotta run with tenacity. You gotta run with, with diligence because this is where these things start to really produce in us. Third and finally, and I'll close with this, is where do we run? Well, he says here in verses, chapter 12, verse two, he gives us clarity and he says, mark it out. Mark it out, eyes and lines. See, this fight isn't, isn't a fight to build muscle. This building is the building of the strength of our eyes, the strength of vision. It goes on, he says, let us run a race with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. The pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what Jesus did? Jesus used joy as his guide. Jesus set joy out in front of him, knowing that he had to push past some things and persevere. He knew, like Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 8.10, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The beautiful thing about Jesus is he is a practitioner. He wasn't a theorist. He practiced what he preached. And if you read the scriptures, it talks about Jesus going to this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane was a garden at the base of the Mount of Olives. Gethsemane means the place of crushing, pressing. What would they crush and press at this place? Olives. That's my favorite reindeer, Olive, the other reindeer. Some of you get that later. But in this place... If you remember or are so willing to go and read, this is the place where Jesus prayed and said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. 
But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. When he was faced with the reality of what he had to go through to get to where God had called him, he knew it was going to come at a predetermined place of posturing himself and saying, I'm going to persevere. He says that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He didn't have to do what he did, but he persevered. And the place that he made this declaration and predetermined disposition was clearly marked out for him. And he pressed in and prayed and what was pressed upon him, it says that he prayed so hard that he sweated blood have you prayed so hard that you've sweated blood? I don't, I, don't, I don't know if any of us have. But he knew how the pressing that produced in him the endurance that was necessary for him to persevere the pain of the cross. That was the anointing of God. He is the anointed of God. And he knew exactly what he was doing in that place. And he did not lose sight of what he was called to fulfill. My grandfather, he, uh, he, he was a very funny man. Let's just say humor is a gift in our family. And he, um, back in the day, he was a, a part of the military. And, and he would handle nuclear warheads before they realized that there were ramifications of doing so. And later in life, he was a... He fall prey to this disease called immaculate degeneration. Immaculate de degeneration is a, a, a disease that robs you of your eyesight. Uh, initially, he lost sight in one eye. So much so, it got to the point where they removed the eye and gave him a prosthetic eye. He was real funny. He'd come around the kids and he'd pop out his eye and he'd roll it out on the table. He says, anybody want to play marbles? Yeah. <laughs> this disease progressed. He, he starts, started to lose the eyesight in his right eye. He got to the point where he could only see silhouettes and, and white lines. He lived out by the VA hospital. He was a part of this uh, uh, Blinded Veterans Association. And he would ride his bike because he could see the white line. And he would ride down to the VA. Well, my dad went over to his house one day. And he came in. And my grandfather's sitting there bleeding from his head. And my dad's like, what in the world happened? He's like, oh, I'm fine. You might want to check that bike. The fender's rubbing a little bit. And he goes into the garage. Bike's trashed. Phone rings. It's the nurse down at the VA. Hey, I just wanted to check in on Gene. Is he okay? Yeah, I think so. What happened? Well, he was riding his bike down here as he always does, following the white line. And some nurse was wheeling a guy out in a wheelchair. And he took that dude out like a linebacker. <laughs> They're... Sometime after, my grandfather lost all of his eyesight, unable to see anything. But the interesting thing is, is that he had, at that point, committed to being a part of a, a, a group that was creating a program called JAWS. JAWS is the program, if you pull out your phone today and you highlight a portion of wording and you press speak, it'll speak back to you. He was somebody that God used to create things that would continue to allow his life in the lack of his physical vision to continue to give his life vision. He was somebody that would allow the lines of life, his lanes, he didn't look to the right or to the left. Well, he basically, he couldn't. 
But he didn't get consumed about what he didn't have. He was very much consumed with what he did have and what he was going to do with it. And when we understand that our eyes needs to be fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter, the author and the originator, God in his grace will give us a gaze to align our life to the glory of God that we get so caught up on what's going on in someone else's world, we can never understand the anointing of God in our world and the lane that he's illuminated by his pressing and the perseverance that produces in us is the path that he's marked out for us. And only by his grace, only by his glory, are we afforded hills. And we've got uphill hopes with downhill habits, but we will, not by default, but by design, give ourselves diligently to getting the weight off of us to run with all perseverance, diligence, ferocity. And we have to understand that God has marked it out for us. He says, you're saved by grace through faith. At least none of us boast this is not of our own doing. This is the gift of God. And he says, you are my workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which I planned in advance for you to do. So the grace that saved you had nothing to do with you and the grace that sustains you, that he has plans and purposes for you has little to do with you other than the participation point that we get to play. And friends, if the devil knows your weakness. He's gonna run after that. But let me tell you, if God is for you, who can be against you? If you don't quit, you win. And God is coming up right behind you at the height of the point where you wanna quit. And he's pressing on your back saying, come on, don't quit, I'm right here, I'm with you, I'll push you, I'll allow you to get to the place and you're gonna get over the top and you're gonna say, I did it. And we're gonna know, really, he did it. Jesus did it. And maybe you feel like you've been on, put on a bike that's two sizes too big for you. It's because you have. Because where you are isn't where you're going. And right now is the training ground for all that he has. And you've sown too many seeds in faith, in prayer, in tears. You've got too much seed in the ground to quit now. Just because you don't see the fruitfulness doesn't mean it's not on the horizon. And Don't you quit one second before your miracle. And that's why I came today to tell every single one of us, we have the power of perseverance because we have the prize of the person of Jesus in our life. And it's not about a destination. It's about the person we're becoming in the process. Amen? Amen? Come on, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes.